again, my name is James Weddington. Welcome, you guys. This is One Voice Vision, a model for majority minority ministry. So what I want to start out, I'm going to walk through five things. Introduction, and then kind of the what, why, how, and then some challenges. And so with a little bit of introduction, and you can see this in your notes, and there's some fill in the blanks if you want to follow along in that way. But really, three principles that I, I, I've found is this is the way we frame up a lot of what we do, kind of foundational things. And there's three things. One, just encourage you to be a church, a church leader that is faithful to Scripture. I'm not asking you to do anything that's out of bounds of what Scripture has called us to do. So be a church, be a church leader that is faithful to Scripture. You know, this is the non-negotiable and you can look at church history and you can read, you know, what is the irreducible minimum of the church? Uh, at very basics, you would say proclamation of the gospel and practicing of the ordinances. Some would argue a little bit of structure, uh, uh, structure as far as pastoral, elder, uh, deacon, that sort of thing. But, you know, at the very basic, uh, that is the church being faithful to Scripture. I love Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 kind of gives a great overview of the functioning of the church. Uh, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all who had need. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So, so it's very basic. You've got to be a church. You've got to be a church leader that's faithful to Scripture. We have to be in line with what uh, the Scriptures teaches us, a church being uh, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to community, the breaking of bread and praying and seeing that that allowed the church to win favor uh, as they praise God with all people. So that's one, be a church, church leaders faithful to Scripture. Second, be a church, church leader that is faithful to your context of ministry. I'm not going to be a proponent that you do anything that doesn't fit your context of ministry. And what do I mean by that? A couple ways to look at it. One would be an internal assessment. If you look inside of your church, um, what is the current church health? You know, is the church adaptive to change at this season? You know, how much tactical patience do you need in facilitating um, changes and things like that? You know, just your church dynamics. You know, and a lot of this, if you are a pastor, an elder, leaning in that just pastoral shepherding role of you got to know your people and you got to love them, who they are, where they're at, but really having a good understanding of your context of ministry internally. But then you got to think about the context of your ministry and an external assessment. Uh, what I mean by that is having an understanding of, say, current demographics. Uh, is the area in your church changing? Is the population growing? Is it decreasing? Um, what are home values? Are there a lot of renters? You know, just little basic kind of community-based things. Who's moving in? Who's moving out? Is there growth in diversity? Uh, one of the things we found, our church is in East Charlotte. It's nestled in the corner of a big neighborhood. 
and there's all kinds of dynamics kind of one part of the neighborhood is home ownership and those home values have doubled in the last five years and just really close the rest of the neighborhood is uh, low income uh, high rental high poverty so when we prayer walk our neighborhood and we're just trying to meet neighbors one of the things we come across is families you knock on the door and maybe a, um, a latino person answers the door and they got nothing but a smile because they don't have any English. But what they do is they say, hold on one second. And then in 30 seconds, here comes a teenager or a child. And so one of the things is, you know, evaluating our demographics. There are homes in our neighborhood that are multi-generational and they're multilingual. So you have one generation that's one language. The next generation may be a little bit of both, and then you sometimes have a third generation living there that maybe is all a, a, a second language. And so for us saying, okay, where, where is this family going to fit in a church, and how do we minister to every um, generation of those families? So th examples of like that is what we saw. And so one of the things I would say here is, especially in church revitalization in churches that you know, are maybe struggling, how much lack of adaptive change to ministry context has, can harm churches and causes need for revitalization. I think a lot of you see is, you know, this church when it was planted, this was rural or this was suburban and we function in that way. But now the area, you know, 30 years later is dramatically different. You know, how do we adapt? How do we change to be a church that really ministers to our community? Uh, a book recommendation here I would give you is a book called Canoeing the Mountains. Chris canoeing, you know, like canoeing the mountains. Christian leadership in uncharted territory. Uh, author is Todd Bollinger. It's a book my staff and I read a couple years ago. Really, uh, it's, it's a good book. Uh, there's some parts that feel a little flat to me, but I would recommend it as it's a, it's a good book on adaptive change and the need for kind of moving things forward. So that's the second thing. Be a church, church leader that's faithful to your context in ministry. And the third thing is this. Be a church, church leader that is faithful to the leading of the Holy Spirit in your context of ministry. Again, think of these as, as concentric circles, as lenses to really get down your focus. Uh, be a church, a church leader that is faithful to the leading of the Holy Spirit in your context of ministry. One of the things that I've come to kind of be at ease with is that God uses an array of different churches to bring about His kingdom. There's small churches, there's normative-sized churches, there's large churches. They all look different. We all don't have to look the same. The, I think God, God's parameters for functioning churches, they're even outside of my comfort zone. But God uses different kinds of churches in different ways uh, to reach people. So when you think of your church and you think of churches that are maybe uh, close in proximity, they will not look exactly like each other. So you may have a church right down the road, but your DNA, your, your, your ethos, your, your focus may look different from them. And in this, there's a balance. You know, what I, as a pastor, I want to glean, I want to learn from others. But at the same time, I don't want to look at another church and think, gosh, we're not doing that. Maybe should we do, be doing that? And you get into this unhealthy judging of success and failure you want to try to avoid that so the rest of what I'm going to do out kind of establishing this base work is I'm really just going to try to share how we 
are working these three things out in our context? How are we relying on Scripture, our context of ministry, and the way the Holy Spirit is leading us uh, to do ministry here? So I'm going to answer the what, the why, the how. I'll do some challenges at the end, and then I'll try to save 10, 15 minutes towards the end for Q&A, and maybe we can dialogue, because really this is as much me learning from you, and hopefully you can glean some things from, from what I say. So, what is a one-voice vision? What is a one-voice vision? So, I've got some definitions in your notes. So, so, one definition is a family of churches partnered together to display God's kingdom through unity for the proclamation of the gospel with a focus to bridge the multicultural landscape of our community. That's the way we have worded kind of our one-voice vision and what we're trying to do as a church. Another way to say it is Eastern Hills uh, leads integrated ministries with multiple language congregations partnered together. Uh, Eastern Hills leads integrated ministries with multiple language congregations partnered together. Uh, another definition to be familiar with is majority-minority. What is that? Uh, by definition, majority-minority is relating to a population in which more than half represent social, ethnic, or racial minorities and in which fewer members of the more socially, politically, or financially dominant group are represented. This is an important thing, I think, for all of us. Now, it may hit us in different ways, uh, but if you look at statistics, if you look at the latest census data, race, ethnic minorities are responsible for all national growth. All of the growth happening in the United States is from ethnic minorities. Uh, Majority-minority demographics are coming quicker than you realize. I remember reading this probably five, six years ago, and even the projection then was 10, 15 years down the road that many of our major cities would be majority-minority in context. But it's happening quicker than expected. Charlotte, for example, technically is majority-minority already. Our latest, latest census stuff gives the largest uh, white is 48.8 so 49 percent of the population is white but we've crossed that threshold 51 percent is made up of minorities black latino asian and then others in that order and so already charlotte is a majority minority context of ministry and so one of the things when i read this a number of years ago was to really think about our future. You know, we're trying to come through revitalization. We're trying to be the best church to fit our community, to love our neighbors well. Well, the question is, well, what should we look, lo what should we look like? And with this majority-minority kind of direction, the question is, well, what does a healthy church in our context, a majority-minority context, look like? And then what kind of church do I want to shepherd for the next generation. This is something that you kind of got to have resolve and then you got to be on the offense with. You got to be a, uh, you got to, you got to intentionally move this direction. And I think you're going to see in all this in a majority minority context of ministry, uh, gospel clarity is uh, very important. You have to be crystal clear on the gospel because there's so many other uh, layers from cross-cultural, multi, all the multis that come into this. So you got to have gospel clarity. And so One Voice Vision for us, it comes from Romans 15, 6. And you've got in your um, notes Romans 15, 5 through 6. It says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice 
glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's kind of been, that's really encapsulated and helped us put a name to the direction that we were going to have a one voice vision, a desire to see um, Christ glorified in a greater way through unity. Uh, the, this text in Romans, you think of the church in Rome, even in Paul's day, it was an urban center. It was very diverse. You know, Rome was a kind of a cultural crossroads of sorts, and it was a melting pot. And so Paul's prayer is capturing a pressing need for the merging. You had two merging Jewish, now believers, but some are Jewish cultured and some are Gentile cultured. And so this encapsulates Paul's prayer is that, hey, I know you're coming culturally from two different backgrounds, but my prayer for you is that you will find oneness in Christ. And then that oneness would display God's glory in a greater way. So I think that's what we see. And there's, uh, I think, three things here uh, just from this text. One, a one voice witness is predicated on being in accord with Jesus Christ. Again, that's right out of the text. If you're not in, in accord with Christ, if you're not unified with Christ, with Scripture, then you know this, this dog won't hunt, so to speak. You've got to be in accord with Jesus Christ. Uh, secondly, multicultural unity for the sake of the gospel glorifies God. I think that's Paul's prayer. He says that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then number three, and this is, this is a, there's four things here, but one voice models a ministry setting that is multicultural, multi-ethnic, multilingual, and multi-generational. I'll say those again. And again, we live in a time frame where all these words, they're kind of buzzy words now. Um, uh, it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to really dig into the weeds and apply it. But One Voice models a ministry setting that is multicultural. You know, culture is social dynamics, social constructs, multi-ethnic, that is race, that is background, multilingual, different languages, and multi-generational, different generations. So again, our, our desire, our passion is coming from how do we best proclaim the gospel in our context, this one voice, this unison of direction, not different voices going different directions, but one voice united. It's a louder voice for the gospel. And uh, my kid, I've got four kids, and they're in this thing where, you know, they can all be bickering and have their opinions. They're 12, 10, 8, and 6 right now. But they've learned if they really want to influence me or my wife, they start chanting in unison. Because it's like, oh, they're louder. It's like, hey, we want McDonald's or whatever it is. Uh, it, it's the same thing here. When collective voices from different backgrounds are in unity, in unison, God is glorified in, in, a, in a different, and, and I would say, in a better way. So that is kind of the what is. So why is one voice something to strive for? First, and, and we could get into this a lot more, but just very foundationally, we are commanded to make disciples of all the nations. We are commanded to make disciples of all nations. Matthew 28, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we have to take that to heart. And it's not just disciples, it's disciples of all the nations. 
Uh, it's not a call to make disciples of who we're comfortable with or who looks like us. Uh, Jesus' mandate from the very beginning is that we make disciples of all the nations. So it's obviously very biblical. Uh, and one thing I think, especially if you're in this sort of minority, majority minority context, or even if you just you're noticing you know, the changes in your area, even the most rural areas of North Carolina have impact from minority groups that come in and help and do things. We have to go out of our way to reach the nations, but we don't have to go far away. You know, uh, I, when I served overseas, our supervisors, they were on the level of their parents were missionaries and they, they went on boats, you know, to get where they were going. And then they, they flew. But today, and obviously the mandate is to still do that, but to reach the nations in our community, we don't have to go far away. So we're commanded to make disciples of all the nations. Secondly, unity around the gospel is a testimony to the watching world. Unity around the gospel is a testimony to the watching world. I'll go to John 17, verses 20 through 23 here, Jesus' prayer. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So I love this text, uh, especially just the opening phrase. And Jesus says, I do not ask for these only that were in his presence, but for those who will believe in me through their word. And so if you're a follower of Christ, you're a believer because of the, their words. And so it's like a Jesus's prayer directly for us. But you see one, Jesus prays for our unity, our oneness, Jesus prays for our unity, our oneness. Secondly, Jesus models our unity after his oneness with the Father. I think that's important in, in kind of Trinitarian language. Jesus says, I want you to have this sense of unity because this is the unity that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit experience together. So Jesus models our unity after his oneness with the Father. And then thirdly, our unity is intended to display God's love to the world. Our unity is intended to display God's love to the world. Verse 23, I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Now we can really like crack down on ourselves because... Unity and displaying unity is something that we're struggling with maybe across the lines and it's something maybe we've not always done as well as we should have. But one last thing there in this unity, unity is not uniformity. Uh, it's unity of purpose. It's unity around the gospel. It's unity around mission. The point is that the gospel is what tethers us together even while being not like in culture. So the idea is not necessarily beginning with, well, let's just blur everything. We may get there because culture is moldable, but it's to say even, while, even though we're different culturally, we have different social constructs, we're tethered together by the gospel. And you see how that elevates the gospel above all these other kind of social norms that we have. 
Third thing here is that a church that displays multicultural unity for the sake of the gospel stands out. A church that displays multicultural unity for the sake of the gospel stands out. It's just a question. If your community is diverse, shouldn't the church be? And the question, kind of a forward-thinking question, is what does or what will non-diverse churches in a diverse area communicate about the gospel? You know, while, while we probably have this in little small population groups, but as we continue to grow in the direction that we're going, what will it look like when we're all cultured in different churches uh, versus there being unity? What does that look like? What does that say about the gospel. In some ways, I'm afraid this diminishes the gospel. The gospel becomes equal with our other social constructs, and it's not that supremely eternal priority that it should be. But one of the things, if this is you, even I live, I live within two miles of my church. So even if you live in a majority-minority context, that does not mean that your life automatically models cross-cultural engagement. Uh, we are all tribal. We all tend to gravitate towards our own likeness and our own comfort. Uh, the local Walmart near both my church and my house is an example. If you go in this Walmart, it's off of East, East Independence Boulevard in Charlotte, it's diverse. I'm going to see women in hijabs. I'm going to see Latino. I'm going to see West African, East African. I'm going to see Americans. I'm going to see everybody. Why are they there together? Out of necessity. They've got to buy their groceries. So out of necessity, you see that cultures intersect. And then out of want, when someone's aware of this and they want cultural diversity and engagement, if they want it, they will seek it out. But a church that fails to see the necessity of unity for God's kingdom or the desire to defer our preferences or tribalism for the greater gain of God's kingdom is a church in danger of irrelevance. And I would say eventually, it may not be maybe covered now, but at some point in time, if we fail to see the necessity of unity for God's kingdom and we, and, we, and we fail to express the desire to cut some stuff to the side so that we can embrace around the gospel, then uh, where are we going to be making an impact with things? So a little bit about my context of ministry before I kind of get into the nuts and bolts of what this looks like for us. Uh, Eastern Hills was a church in revitalization. We're probably still in revitalization. Really classic, all the things, if you've read or heard, revitalization and ugliness, that sort of thing. The church was 20-plus years in decline. Uh, the glory days were the late 80s, early 90s, when it was the new suburban church in what was then the new suburbs of what was the old suburbs in Charlotte. Uh, and it grew in that ministry context. But over time, we're essentially an urban church now, and the suburbs have moved at least twice. In the 80s and 90s, they moved, if you're familiar with Charlotte, they moved to Matthews, Mint Hill area. Now the suburbs are even farther out. You know, they're like Indian Trail, Indian Land, and, you know, it's like, you know, just keeps growing like this. So the church had generational gaps. It was originally rural and a suburban landscape. Uh, but then the people moved to the new suburbs. So you have, you lose connection. You know, in the beginning, maybe a lot of people lived right around the church. Then they moved out, but then they still drove in. But you lose connections with the community. 
So what was once kind of mono-ethnic, white, middle-class area is now very multi-ethnic, multicultural. So if you have a church that's still trying to hold on to those 80s suburban, white, middle-class model context of ministry, it's bound to decline because it's not adapted to just the environment that it, that's around it. And that's East Charlotte. It's internationally diverse. Any food you imagine and that you like, you can drive down Central Avenue, that's near our church and our house, and eat all the good things uh, they are there to eat. Um, our local middle school, which is in our same neighborhood as our church, uh, it has over 40 languages represented. And when we, we did the demographics for our church in just one mile radius, this was you know almost 10 years ago, a third white, a third African-American, a third Latino. So at one mile radius around our church has been this majority minority flavor for a really long time. It was not a perfect church. Um, in some ways it had become too inclusive. It held on to those traditions, those practices too, young, too long, yet they had a heart and a desire to reach their people. When I came there as pastor eight years ago, they had both an Arabic language church and a Spanish ministry uh, a part of their church. And so those were really the forerunners of what has led, led us to what we have today. So that's kind of this last section. This is how we do one voice ministry. Again, this is just how we do it. You may kind of pick and choose and see if there's anything here for you guys. This is one model. There's other ways. Again, this has been put into practice. There's trial and error. We're still learning. We'll st we're still growing and all that. Uh, here's another book recommendation, Trellis and the Vine. Have you ever heard of that book? Anthony John Payne and Colin Marshall, Trellis and the Vine. Just a really simple book that helps in, in regards to spiritual growth and your trellis, your structure, being formative for your vine growth. Not having, you know, outdated trellis that doesn't fit with what God's doing, that sort of thing. So what we do is we on-ramp uh, other churches, other uh, language congregations in to be integrated with our ministries. To on-ramp a congregation means meeting with their church leaders, listening, sharing our vision of what God is doing, uh, taking a very slow pace, being very intentional with communication. It's sort of like a marriage. You want to kind of do all your homework up front before you get to this point of partnering. Um, and it takes time. Again, meeting with the church leaders, one of the first things I say is, guys, if you're, a, if you're an international church and if you're just looking for space, this may not be the place for you because we're not just providing space. We want partnerships. We want full integration because we believe that's best for us, it's best for you, and it's best for the future church. And so we explain all that out. As much as we have an on-ramp, we have an exit ramp so that if ever a congregation is not in line with what we're doing, we have a process that they exit, and we've done that as well. Currently at our church, we have an English congregation, we have Spanish, we have Korean, we have French. And uh, this Sunday, we actually have a Burmese congregation, a Matu Chin speaking congregation. They're going to be our guests in our service. And then the following Sunday, the first Sunday in March, they are on ramping to be a part of our ministries. So we currently have four, getting ready to have five language congregations. And we have, an, we have a sixth congregation that was a part of things. 
and they've left our partnership, but we're still providing them some space until they find a landing spot. And I can explain a little bit about what that looked like. But what we've done is we've, we've, we've pared this down to a one voice partnership. There's five key areas that we focus on and that we make sure we're on the same page with. And I've got those listed. Um, there's some place you can write down as much or little of this as you want. So five things. First one is doctrine. Uh, this one is important. It's very important. Uh, alignment and agreement with the essential tenets of faith. That is talking through what are their, do they have a doctrinal statement? What do they believe? How, how does someone accept Christ? What, does, what brings about salvation? You can lean on a document like the Baptist Faith and Message or some other uh, document, but you want alignment and agreement in the essential tenets of faith. Uh, then you want, you want to determine your freedom in second and third tier doctrines. Uh, if you are a doctrine Nazi, so to speak, if you want to find differences, you're going to find them because there, there are differences. And so this is, there's a lot of wisdom here in balancing the thing, the core things that we need to be in agreement on. And then what are the things that it's okay that you do it a little bit different than I do or we believe a little bit differently. So determining those freedom and second and third tier doctrines uh, but, but most importantly with this is a like-minded vision towards ministry. They've got to they've be on the same page with the vision and direction that you're going. What we have found a lot, and this is not pigeonholing everyone, but international churches in general, you've got to listen to really understand. They, they oftentimes, when they, they have their whole country in mind when they want to reach people. And so for them, they want their door open wide. And so you may have an international church that has both really conservative and then some that are more on, on the other end of things, people in their church. It's because their desire, their heart is they, they, want, they want to have, an, if they're the, say, one of the few or only uh, ethnic churches in the city trying to reach their nation or reach their people, they want the door really open. Uh, you're likely to find some theological hangups. Uh, we, in our experience, it just depends. Some lean towards charismatic things, but overall, we've seen a desire for theological training. One of the first things pastors or leaders say is, can you help me understand the Bible better? What are, what are means or ways that you can help me in my training? Uh, I've met with a Nepali pastor for the last year, it doesn't, we've not really formed a partnership, but we just have a relationship. And one of the things he, he talked about was uh, his, for his youth, he, he gave an example. He said they were, because uh, a lot of these, you know, there may be house churches and they're trying to find places and they, churches may open up doors. But one of their youth at a church uh, had a conversation, uh, talked about affirming tongues. And very quickly that church said, oh, you can't meet here anymore. And he said, if we come here, would you not do that? Because uh, in an international setting, you just, they've gotten all kinds of information thrown their way. And so there's sometimes a process, a teaching, a gleaning process for this. So doctrine is very important. Here's a book recommendation, recommendation here. Uh, Finding the Right Hill to Die On. It's by Gavin Ortland. Finding the Right Hill to Die On. He talks about kind of the process of determining first tier priority doctrines and then wisdom in determining second and third tier in your church. And it, 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 
it affects this conversation too. Uh, the second thing under the partnership, you got doctrine. The second thing is one voice worship. This is, this is a really important one. So what we do is a unified approach to one multicultural majority English service among our family of partner churches. So we're trying to set up a model where we want to continue to support those heart language services. But often, and I'm not an international pastor and I don't want to speak for them, but in our experience, International ethnic churches, they all end up dealing with the same issues. First generation, heart language, worship, but then as soon as second generation and third generation, as they are kind of melting into the American pot, they're English speakers. And so you end up with churches that are dealing with having services in two different languages. So, and this is really the definer for us is because we don't have a vision for multiple unicultured English services. We want to support heart language services and then we draw all that next generation of students and children into one English service. And that's kind of our model. Uh, so you have several services at the same time? Yes. Yeah. The same sermon? No, different. These churches are, they're partners, but they're autonomous. Um, so they're they have their own preaching schedule. They're doing their own service schedule and routine. But their children, and I'll kind of walk through this, but all of their children are in our Sunday school. They're in our service. So just for our service, we, what we call is One Voice Kids. And so, again, some of this is structure as far as timing. While we're having an English service, there's other language services happening. Uh, we have one nursery, so pre-K, all nursery is funneled together, so all those kids are together in nursery. And then K through 5, right now they're in our service, and that's because we can manage it. If it gets bigger, we may have to think of something different. But we call them our one-voice kids, and we give them a little bit of structure. We give them some uh, tools for getting through the service, a little activity sheet uh, for engagement. Uh, I do pastoral engagement every Sunday. I talk to them specifically. They have on their sheet a One Voice Kids big idea. And they know at some point in my sermon, I say, hey guys, all my One Voice Kids, here's the big idea. I want you to write it down. They write it down at the end of the service. They come and I have a little powwow with them and they tell me what it is and they get something out of the treasure box. I mean, it's a little, but it's something to where, so all kindergarten through fifth grade, we have all of these children the challenge here is, you know, you imagine if some of you, some churches don't have this model, but we're trying to model our kids in service, but typically they're sitting with their families. Well, now we've got children and their, their parents are in other language congregations. So we have just right now, we're, we have a couple leaders that just kind of sit, they sit up front and so far it's working. And so that's what we do there. Our students, so all of our middle school, high school students are in the same service. Uh, we're really focusing on their presence, getting them engaged, getting them involved. The thing that you have to do here is you can't have the mindset of them joining our service. That's the wrong conversation. It's saying we want to reshape a service together. That's why it's our One Voice English service. So that is our normal rhythm. We do combined services. We do a Christmas Eve service where we're all together. You know, we sing Silent Night in every language and we read the Christmas story in different languages. Uh, and so we just, we structure it differently. Uh, we've done Easter services together. Again, it's a different dynamic. We sing in all the different languages. 
Uh, and then the, the last time we did this, this was pre-COVID, me and the other pastors, we formulated an, a, a, one Easter sermon together short because it was preached like five different times. So it's just like an eight minute sermon, but we're all preaching the same thing, all three points in our Easter service. So that's our one voice worship rhythm. The third thing, and I'm, I'm going to try to speed up here. I want to make sure I'm done in 10 minutes. Uh, the third area is family and adult discipleship. So again, this is our Sunday morning rhythms first. It's a unified approach to birth through student ministries. So pre-worship hour, your traditional Sunday school, community groups, whatever you call it, one nursery, all of our, all of our children's ministry is fully integrated. So all of the children from all the different language congregations are in Bible study together. Again, those are all English-based because that's what they know. Um, lots of cool things coming out of this. We have a... We had a French family, and they're mostly Central African uh, from the Congo area. A French family's uh, high school student, a girl, first Sunday in her small group with a Korean lady as her teacher, and she says, oh, I've been wanting to learn Korean. And it's like, there you go. Uh, our Burmese pastor, his, his words to me were, we are limited in passing the gospel to our children because of, of language and challenges and so they want the partnership they want kind of us helping do this together so that's what Sunday mornings look like uh, this rolls over to camps special events so we have you know children's camps student camps full participation from all of our one voice partners vacation Bible school outreach into our community we're prayer walking our community and and hopefully a diverse community is seeing that there is diversity and reaching out to them and praying for people. Uh, we've done gospel conversation training, things like that all together. So again, that's mainly children and students, but what we've landed on is for adult ministries, there are some things we do together, and then there's a lot of things that we let them schedule if they want a prayer time on Friday nights or Saturday mornings. But the one thing we did land on is our Wednesdays. We have uh, what we call One Voice Wednesdays. And so that is, if you're a partner, you can't do anything on Wednesday nights. you got to be in this. We don't want to try to pull everybody together, but then the Spanish congregation is wanting to have just their Spanish Bible study. So on our Wednesdays, we do a shared meal. And again, that kitchen team is made up of volunteers, so we get a lot of different flavors with our Wednesday night meals. Uh, we do Awana and we do Trek for middle school students. And so again, all of those children are in those programs. And what we've done for adults is what we call a one voice adult prayer and Bible study. It's multilingual. And so we go through material. Right now we're going through a book called 50 Core Truths of the Christian Faith. It's very short chapters. And I rotate with our Korean pastor and one of our Latino volunteers currently. And we spend about 15 minutes doing an overview in English with everybody. And then about 40 minutes is spent at round tables having heart language discussion on the topic. And then at the end, we bring it back around and we pray in all of our different languages. So I'll say this later, but it is a little messy. It's, a, it's always different. It's varied, but that's where a lot of these folks live. Their heart language is something that they're going to worship in, but they probably have some. Their English you know, proficiency, it varies, but likely you've got at least one person that can look at some English Bible study notes. So we can do some of it in English, and then we do some of it in Again, we have a conversation where there's English, Spanish, Korean, Tigrinya conversations happening at round tables in the same fellowship hall. 
and we all pray together and then all the kids you know pile in the room at the end uh, it's been a real blessing for us to see just kind of what that looks like uh, we've seen growth there you know when I first came our Wednesday nights were very traditional nothing wrong with it but senior adults gathering for prayer and Bible study you know most of the prayers was aches and pains but we started praying for God to you know move our church forward and now there's 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 70 children and students in our programs but there's well over a hundred when you consider we have people that we have senior adults that come and take meals to other senior homebound in our community uh, we have people from the neighborhood coming to eat we have uh, again a, a lot of volunteers needed to pull Awana and trek off and then we've got all these adults gathered in Bible study so it's one of these things where we're very blessed with that uh, there's things that we're in this family and adult discipleship things that we're moving forward with we're getting ready to launch in March a one voice women's Bible study my wife's been working with a team of leaders for two years COVID's kind of delayed it uh, but they're going to start in March a monthly women's gathering Bible study and Again, one of these things you're going to learn if you engage in this is we're so blessed with all of our English resources. As soon as you get out of English, Spanish has some, but outside of that, then it's dry. There's not a lot of stuff out there. So they've developed a system where uh, one thing we do have is God's Word in all of our languages. So it's very inductive, focused Bible study. But again, it's modeling the same way. There's going to be, they're going, they're going to start through the book of Genesis, a chapter a month. Uh, to where, hey, you got the month, read this in your heart language, come back, <clears throat> and then they do inductive Bible study to do it together. So it's again, it's a very integrated thing. Another thing that we're going to launch after that in May is a One Voice Men's Prayer Breakfast. This is an area of need we see for these men <clears throat> to get better connected. And so it's going to be very simple. You know, the goal is we want our men to know each other, to build friendships, and to pray for one another because having godly men in all these congregations leading and casting vision and seeing the value of being together is very important. So those are things we're still kind of to get to. But with all this family and adult discipleship, let me talk real quick about leadership and volunteers. So for, for, to pull this off, what we are learning is that there is a sharing of leadership and responsibilities. You truly have to co-labor together. So what we have is we have teams of leaders from each congregation working together to plan and coordinate ministries specifically around our One Voice partnerships. And then we have volunteers at every level. So I meet with, all, with other pastors, with other leaders from all these congregations at least once a month. We have One Voice leadership meeting where we pray together. We talk through, hey, how's things going in your congregation? Here's the things that we're doing together. You know, here's our need. You know, we still need two volunteers in Sunday school and that sort of thing. We have those kind of conversations. But the emphasis is in doing it together, uh, giving other leaders equal place at the table and buy-in. Especially if you're the English pastor, your role here is to really open the door to give access your approach should not be, hey, this is my thing. I want you to be a part of it. You, you have to say, hey, you're an equal at the table with me, and we're going to do this together, and we got to learn from each other. you got to have kind of a temperament and attitude to where you get that buy-in, you get engagement. And this is something, again, we're still working on. And you got to have volunteers at every level, whether needed or not. Most, most of the time, you're going to need them. But if you took the approach of you brought in an international church and you thought, we've got it, we don't, we don't need your help, that will end up 
uh, bad. There'll be codependency and unhealthy things. What you want to see from the very beginning is uh, that we pattern doing it together, learning from each other, building community. So you may not need this lady in the nursery, but you, you will eventually. So you go ahead and get someone that you can on-ramp because there are language proficiencies and things that you'll work through. But we have seen the most, or, most organic things happen in just two women in a nursery, one from Eritrea, one from America, Hey, tell me your story. How did you get here? And the things and the way these women form bonds and friendships. Uh, we have ladies that pray for, they call Thursday nights their prayer time. They call and pray for each other's families. Those sorts of things. Again, just tell me your story, building relationships. So that happens with leadership volunteers. Fifth thing is this, facilities and finances. So our approach is a shared use of facilities. Uh, you've got to see your facilities as God's. They're not yours personally. And you're shepherding those. So what I always tell congregations when they partner is every square inch, you may, be, you may meet in this room for worship on Sunday morning, but every square inch of this facility is yours. Uh, you got to call the office and you got to make reservations. We don't need three people showing up at the kitchen on Friday night. We, you have some structure, some organization, but you let them know this is their space and you give them that, that buy-in, that this is, their, this is theirs. So you use your facilities with a kingdom mindset. Uh, the financial part, uh, again, obviously there is some financial contributions that support the facility and the ministry use. Uh, we've done different things. We used to just try to negotiate, hey, here's a fair price. Uh, but what we've landed on is a percentage-based giving because that's fair for both parties. When COVID hit and you know congregations could not meet, we didn't want these congregations feeling a burden of paying X amount. And at the, and the other end of that is you could have a congregation grow and flourish. And um, so it's just fair for both if you just set a percentage and then they're there a month and then the first of the month they're giving a percentage of their tithes and offerings to you. So those are those five things. Let me quickly go through some challenges and then I'll take any questions. Challenges. Uh, your your traditional, your English congregation, uh, this type of change could be challenging. Uh, the change in transition, uh, having openness, uh, feeling a sense of loss. Um, we've, we've certainly dealt with that. We've dealt with hard things. Uh, when we were really getting clarity in this and casting vision for this, uh, in, 2000, in the fall of 2019 uh, and really I started articulating it with my other elders and with my deacons. You know, I had someone come in my office and basically this was like, if this is the, the direction the church is going, then they're out. This person happened to be known as the most, he was the leader that wasn't the pastor. He was the influencer. He was the biggest giver. He was someone that someone, you know, a year before had said, well, if that family ever leaves, we're in trouble. Uh, well, they left. And about 15 other, mostly senior adult, mostly women, sadly, they left. And um, so that's part of it. Uh, but we're okay and they're okay. You try not to make enemies and all that, but you, you got to have this kind of vision, this direction. Uh, this past Sunday, we had a joint service with just our Spanish congregation, and we sang similar to the way we sang some songs. We ordained 
one guy from our Latino congregation, one guy from our English congregation. So we did this combined service. It was beautiful. It was lovely. We prayed. We sang in Spanish. But rem reminded me about six years ago, we did a combined service, but it was all in English. The only thing we did in Spanish was the closing prayer. But at the end of that prayer, uh, a gentleman from the congregation came and told me that uh, me and this Spanish guy were the stupidest people he'd ever seen because we, he just prayed in a language no one can understand. So it just, there, you, you're going to deal with some things, but again, we're thankful for how God has moved and directed. So that's just your congregation, partnering congregation. Uh, they are uh, fear of losing culture, of losing the next generation. Most of them are functioning in a crisis of cultural preservation. They've given up so much to get here, but then they wrestle with, well, how do I keep the things that I love and how do I instill those in my children and how do I, with a fear of potentially them losing it. And so it's um, the same kind of dysfunction that we may have in our churches. It's across the board, especially. So you can have, you can deal with congregations that maybe have a too narrow of a focus. Uh, that's essentially what happened with one of our congregations. As we articulated through COVID, hey, this is, these are our five things. This is part of our partnership. They weren't in full agreement with it. They, they didn't want their older adults, uh, young adults in our English service. They wanted to have a monocultured English service. And so it's like, all right, this, it's a difference. So we, we're, we're partners. We love you. It's, it's been a grieving. It's been a very hard thing. But it's, it, it's just not our vision. And it's not that God doesn't use monocultured churches and all these different ethnicities. God uses those, I'm sure. But for us and our vision, our direction to reach our community, we want to be multicultured. Communication is going to be a challenge. Uh, challenges of cross-cultural communication. When you think you've communicated, you've not even started to communicate. It's just, it is, it is you got to just beat 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 you got to say it different ways you got to have it say you got you got to say it when they communicate say it back to them when you communicate have them say it back to you it's just over and over again the need for communication is always there uh, language is a barrier but culture is stronger uh, language is that it's like a defined wall where you have a hard time communicating but for us culture is even stronger than language because if the language is resolved the cultural issues people still want to grab a hold to the good thing is that that's a challenge but culture is moldable and we're all kind of pressing forward into a christ-centered culture and so that's what our dream that's what our goal is uh, no clean lines uh, this is messy ministry uh, coloring outside the page is normative is the way you need to think it's messy uh, it takes time it takes time to build trust it takes time to, to, to build confidence and appreciation and love for one another and, and it's worthy but it's it's and it's necessary but it is hard it is challenging uh, let me take any questions uh, you guys are probably eager to go to lunch but we got five minutes or so Again, this is just the way we do it. You may find different ways, but questions? Dave, one quick question. <clears throat> Two-part question. Are you seeing gentrification push southeast from Briar Creek north from Oak Hurst? And if so, what sort of new challenge does that present to the one voice vision? Yeah. You know the area well. If you know that. Yeah, we are seeing gentrification. I live on uh, Carolyn Drive, which is Briar Creek and Central. And so 
we could not buy the house today that we bought, you know, eight years ago. And all of, for that area, Plaza Midwood, Chantilly is much more expensive. All of that is moving towards where the old Eastland Mall site is. And so in some ways it's challenging in that, I mean, lostness knows no boundaries as far as poor or rich, but, you know, for the church in itself, you know, 30 years ago, someone moved into, forever your church is likely, someone moved 30 years ago, one of their top five priorities was finding a church home. In the families that are moving in now, and their families, they're young, they got small children, they're like, you know, they're like perfect, but church is just not on their radar. And so your approach has to be different. Your, your love, your adapting, how do you minister to those families? How do you make connection? You know, it is going from a paradigm of, one, they probably think negative of the church. You know, those are things that we've just probably not processed enough as a church in general to think, how do we change our approach to, one, just make sure that they trust us, that they're willing for their kids to maybe come to a cookout, you know, that sort of thing. So, yeah, uh, true. What was the second part, or was that? Well, the, the second part, I think you've already... <coughs> to some degree, what new challenges does that present? Yeah. Yeah. Different approaches, all that, yeah. I want to come down to Charlotte and have one of you sometime. Sure, that'd be great. Any other questions or tell me maybe something you're doing that is different or I can learn? A great first step, because again, some of this is dependent for our, for our functioning right now, we have space. Um, but don't assume you don't have space. Every space that we use for another congregation was, has been repurposed. It was Sunday school classes that we took down one wall and now a small group of 30 to 40 can gather. So every space that we use has been repurposed. A good starting point would be to encourage you or your leadership of your church. Find out even if local association, hey, is there is there a Spanish congregation? Is there another language congregation? How can we encourage them? How can we meet with them? The partnership could look different. You know, maybe they already have their own space, but it may be, hey, do your kids go to camp? You know, could you partner with us at camp? Do you do a WANA? You know, there's other ways to on-ramp this, not full-blown all of this, but there's ways that you can start planting those seeds of, of interaction and, and doing things together. Yeah. This is a model that your church has um, been led to develop. Are there how many other churches are uh, attempting to do this at this point? If there are any? Good question. There, I'm sure there are, but one of our challenges is we just don't know where they are. I've heard of you know there are some churches like in Clarkston, Georgia. There's some churches that because there's a lot of um, refugee and immigration stuff happening there the last 10 years are some churches that have done this and that have been forerunners in our context we there is not a lot but there are some churches in the raleigh area that are think are doing this in different ways whether it's just providing um, live translation in multiple languages during their service and things like that Uh, but yeah there's not a lot of other models and there's not a lot of how-to books so i think it's been a lot of like learning and trying to figure this out. This is not easy. It is a reality that um, 
we'd just rather look away. Right. We're, we're, we're driving into a highway with, we have semis darting down and we just look away. And if I don't see it, it's not going to hit me. Yeah. Um, kind of attitude that I have seen. Uh, we don't want to be considered, you know, too multicultural. It may make some people uncomfortable singing in two languages. Mm -hmm. maybe. So there is a vision level. mammoth that needs to be yeah. tackled in, in, in the churches that own the spaces right and, and it's, it's like they're it's trying to establish, trying to get a lot of that, dig through that before you ever get to that partnership part. Talking about, hey, what are some of your worship practices? You know, spiritual gifts are one of those things that always comes up. Having a conversation of, you know, how is that practiced and other doctrinal things. So it's trying to do a lot of it beforehand so that you're just not caught off guard by anything. Um, we do. We we have people in our congregation that sit in the other services from time to time. It's not technically to do that, but you know, what what happens though is through nursery and other things, people talk, and you would hear if something kind of weird was happening. Or at least that's been our experience so far. Yeah. Kind of related to that. How long did it take you to kind of get your leaders and or congregation to buy into this? I'm sure this didn't happen overnight. So how long right. was that process? Uh, it's taken time. You know, probably still ongoing. I yeah, and it was dysfunctional, and I won't say you know as as struggling as the church was. The fact that they had a Spanish and had an Arabic congregation that they brought in po post 9/11 was remarkable, and um, but still, you know, the, f the one of the first congregations we brought in, it was very ugly. We had to have the church business meeting. And before the vote, it was really racial issues. Well, they can't do this and they can't do that. And it was really disheartening and ugly. Now, once the vote came down, it was a super majority to approve it. But still, there was a good, strong people that voted no. And then they weren't happy about it. And they went out in the parking lot and complained. Now, most of those people are not there anymore. Now, now we, we do this with not a bat of an eye. We do it without a church vote. And... We do it with core leaders meeting over about a six-month period before we ever bring someone to the point of guests in our service and then starting to use space. Okay. Yeah, But your point is true. I've, and even what the guy speaking said, look, this is not, you know, when, when, I, when, I, when my wife and I moved to Yemen, one of the things that influenced us was that there's no Baptist flags, there was no Methodist, there was no Presbyterian flags because there's so few workers. It was South Africans, it was Europeans, it was Americans working together in solidarity because you had to because there was just no other options we've unfortunately had the convenience and it's a detriment to our churches that we've functioned so easily in our preferences and i think you just got to see kind of what the speaker said that the opportunity is here for us to do something that we should have been more engaging already but man what a display of the gospel we can show to a splintered world as we do what we can in our communities and again, you, this may not be your community, so it may look very different from you in your context. But again, I think the heart is, and I'll, is any other questions, I'll wrap us up because I know we can head to lunch now. 
I'll read from Revelation chapter 7. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So I think between the call to make disciples of all nations from Jesus and that future finality of every nation, tribe, and language worshiping together, we cannot ignore the task of bringing unity across cultural lines when we have the opportunity in front of us. So that's what I encourage you guys with. Let me pray for us and we'll go eat lunch. Uh, Father, we thank you for this time. I pray this has been edifying for your leaders, uh, for churches. Uh, God, we're all growing and learning in this context, but we seek to desire to honor you, to be faithful to scripture, and to really, you know, it's very simple. We, we wanna be, I, wanna, I wanna see churches being the best representation of the gospel in their community to make an impact for your kingdom. So God, when that leads us towards challenging things, things that we're not comfortable with or we've just not had a habit of doing, help us be willing to reach across those lines. It's, it, it comes from relationships. Uh, one, one person reaching out to another person, willing to listen and learn and, and have a shared experience of life and celebrating what makes us culturally unique and at this end, celebrating Christ, which unites us over all things. So we give you thanks for that today. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Yes. I can't imagine you felt like you are John the Baptist, the voice in the desert. And um, the Lord is leading me. I've been in this congregation for 